Hi everyone, welcome to another exciting session of Lambda Test Experience Series. Through XP Series by Lambda Test, we dive into the world of insights and innovations featuring renowned industry experts and business leaders in the testing and QA space. I'm Kavya, Director of Product Marketing at Lambda Test, and today we have with us John Tobin, who is the CEO of Yusuf Back. I'm thrilled to welcome you to today's episode. Uh, before we delve into the software testing world, I need to do a proper introduction for our esteemed guest, who is a thought leader and visionary in the industry. Jonathan Tobin, CEO of UserBack. Uh, UserBack is a feedback platform for user-centered product development. And of course, John is not your typical CEO. He's a forward-thinking individual who believes in the perfect blend of technology and human interaction. But there's more to John than just uh, the tech world. Beyond business, his interests span a diverse spectrum from the founder's journey to art of slow barbecue. Yes, you heard it right, slow barbecue. Whether you are seeking insights into customer centricity, building so software, or the finer details of barbecue, John Tobin is a valued voice. Now let's take a quick peek at what's on the agenda for today. We'll be exploring the intriguing dynamics of the age-old debate, man versus machine, in the context of finding replicable bugs post-release. It's a challenge that many in the software development world grapple with, and we are here to gain insights from John's wealth of experience. Now, John, I had a, well, the first question for you, right? I mean, uh, would be how do tighter release schedules and cost constraints affect internal teams in effectively identifying and resolving bugs before software release? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and firstly, thank you for the introduction. Um, not 100% sure how much of a thought leader I really am. I definitely do have some thoughts and hopefully they do inspire. Um, but I definitely love um, low and slow barbecue. Um, so if anyone uh, has any questions around that, I'd love to talk about it. Uh, so in terms of tighter release schedules um, and cost constraints internal teams ultimately i think less time and reduced quality um, and then there's more reliance on automated testing systems uh, and sometimes but maybe not always um, the tighter release schedules and cost constraints could mean hiring less experienced engineers and with less experience means there's more introduced bugs um, into production and um, then there's less time for developers to do testing. So then we're, we end up with the users actually running into issues when they're using the software, less time to QA and catch all of the issues. Um, there's more bugs maybe being considered non-critical and then they get placed into the backlog. And the issue with that is when we're prioritizing bugs that um, are actually critical um, and then they get placed into the backlog, um, it can, I guess, change the way that um, product development is happening because we move on to the next project and then there's still bugs sitting there that you know actually do need to be resolved um, so i think that you end up looking for tools to assist teams um, and then you have more reliance on third-party technology as opposed to people genuinely spending time trying to find and resolve issues um, more thoroughly Great, thank you so much, uh, you know, for those insights. 
moving on to the next question that we have how do you tackle key challenges especially in our traditional bug identifications methods right uh, when it comes to pre-release and post-release bug tracking yeah so traditional bug identification methods they're generally quite time consuming and people probably tend to take shortcuts um, in that and i guess most organizations want to do the right thing and spend time identifying um, issues and going through the right processes um, teams can sometimes create lists of bugs which you know they get prioritized once they've got the list and and then this leads to um, bugs potentially being lost or overlooked based on the severity um, and that can mean that bugs don't actually get fixed in time um, and as i mentioned earlier around non-critical bugs being placed on the backlog um, the backlog then can fill up with bugs um, and then they're mixed with uh, ideas and, and user requirements. So we end up with a backlog that um, is very messy because it contains the, everything in that backlog. And tackling these problems, it usually means having a more focused effort on streamlining um, the bug detection process um, or the testing process for high, higher priority bugs, um, a higher level of cooperation with the engineering teams for pre-release um, and in terms of the post-release process um, having an internal SLA for bug resolution and clear communication with users post-release um, and avoiding putting bugs into the backlog that's probably um, a critical one uh, clear communication point I find interesting because um, it allows you to continue supporting customers while managing their user expectations um, while you're still resolving the non-critical issues so that's a very interesting point especially the bit about um, you know sticking to internal SLAs mm -hmm. you know what is what is typically an internal SLA that uh, you know organizations or users look at yeah so I, I personally don't have a lot of experience um, in that area but I have worked in organizations in the past where they do have um, an internal SLA where for example, a blocker, which could be the entire system is down or customers are unable to make a payment in our product and therefore they can't use our product, is a, um, it's a blocker and it needs to be um, identified and resolved within a, a two-hour time frame or um, a one-hour time frame or identified, replicated and resolved within a certain time frame right down to the minor issues, which might have a seven-day um, internal SLA and that might just be for identification and triage. Um, and then the levels in between that, depending on the impact to the end user. Great, thank you. And you also spoke about communication being a critical uh, part of the process. You know, I think it is especially true when it comes to a large organization that is an enterprise kind of an organization when, where there are multiple different products, multiple different teams working on various challenges. Uh, you know, just wanted to again pick your brains on what are the key um, ways in which people communicate. Uh, you know, especially when it comes to once the the difference between once they identify the difference between ideas, bugs, and so on. Right? How does the next process go on typically? Yeah. So something I'm actually really passionate about because my background uh, or my professional background revolves around customer success and um, support teams. Um, and sales. And I guess from that perspective, 
that team, the frontline team, they're usually the ones that are um, communicating with the users around the issues that may not have necessarily been reported by that user, but um, usually are aware of the issues that um, development might actually be resolving. Um, so if a user hasn't reported an issue, or if it, rather, if they have reported an issue, keeping a clear communication with the user, letting them know, you know, maybe um, that that issue has now been moved into um, a development stage where the issue is now being worked on or it's been resolved, but it's, it's going to be placed into um, the next release, which is, say, in one month's time, depending on re release schedules or a week's time, and making sure that um, that customer-facing team is communicating back with um, whoever's looking after the engineering team. Say yeah. the customer is, um, they're experiencing this now um, based on the result of this issue happening, or you know the customer's not happy because they're un unable to do this um, task that they need to do in the software, and just making sure that communication channel from the, the end user who's being impacted by the issue um, is understood by uh, the team responsible for resolving the issue. No, great point and great insights. Thanks, thanks again. Moving on to the next question, what are the key challenges that arise when feedback is scattered across multiple platforms, which typically happens a lot often? Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're you're right. It's it's a common, uh, it's a really common issue. Uh, most yeah. organizations of any size. Uh, you know have this problem whether you're a um a five person organization or have several thousand employees um in your organization the the challenge that organizations have is um there's a lack of visibility across the different teams and uh different teams with without maybe realizing it they collect feedback from their users in um, different ways so for example um, internally, a development team might they collect essentially feedback from QA testers because they're going through and they're testing the product. The customer service team they collect feedback um, through different surveys that they might be doing, like NPS or customer experience, um, the customer satisfaction surveys, and uh, product managers they run their surveys. Marketing, you run your surveys. Um, everyone's collecting feedback uh, from different mediums, um, different ways, and when someone in the organization needs to make a decision on uh, let's say in product development we're looking to introduce a new feature or the product strategy is changing and we need to make um, changes to the product what are our customers saying about this and there's no centralized place for that team to go to generally to find out what the user sentiment is or what users have been speaking about in relation to that feature how they use the product um, and what generally happens is the person who's leading that project, uh, usually a product manager, they'll then go and talk to each different department and then they'll have to collect and consolidate. Um, the other challenge that's introduced by this is that as a marketing team who's been collecting feedback from the users through user surveys, generally speaking, what will happen is an issue will be uh, raised from a customer because they'll say, oh, and I was using it, the product the other day and this, this problem happened for me. And for that reason, I'm, I'm not very happy. Um, and that can often get lost in, in the mix of, you know, receiving thousands of responses. And, and that's an issue that may be actually affecting other customers. 
but it's only known or surfaced by one team in the organization and maybe not the team that is ultimately responsible for helping those users or helping fix that issue. Um, and because the information is siloed, it's not readily available to other areas of the business. Yeah, and I think um, another challenge that uh, you know often teams face in these situations is also prioritization of which bugs to sort of prioritize. You know, what are the key challenges that again the users are facing and accordingly uh, bring out the releases and so on. I suppose. Yeah, you're right because usually we listen to the loudest, um, the loudest yeah. person in the room, um, and the person that's um, yeah. I guess screaming. So <laughs> when there's a high value customer that's screaming about an issue, we'll tend to prioritize um, that user's issue or the bug that's affecting them. Whereas in reality, that bug might actually be only affecting them and the rest of our customer base is okay um, with that bug being there. So we'll spend resource and time prioritizing a fix on that issue. And, and direct resources away from um, maybe other issues that are affecting a majority of our customer base. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on to the next question, John, um, how does utilizing user feedback for bug identification affect the speed of development lifecycle from issue detection to fix implementation? I think this is very closely related to what you were just previously yeah. speaking about. Yeah. Yep. Um, so in a previous organization, um, and I'm sure that listeners can relate to this, um, we had a piece of software that allowed um, each user that you would invite into the tool to set permissions for each user. And you could turn on and turn off the different features that your users would have access to, which meant that there was a very um, a wide range of um, different scenarios and different access levels that users would have in that software. And that makes things really complex. And it actually, um, I guess, it creates challenges for um, automated testing systems because there's lots of different variables in the software. Um, it's super complex. It can't always be picked up by uh, those automated testing systems and the QA testers that are going through because when the QA testers testing something, they need to set the scenario up. I'm a user, but I have these five permissions and I don't have access to these other permissions. Now I test it again. I have access to these four permissions and not these other ones. And they go through and they run those tests depending on what access levels a user might have. So in this um, way, the people that are actually using the product, so your users, they're, they're really um, great assets when it comes to testing. Uh, and it's likely that they experience issues regularly, but they actually have no way of notifying you outside of contacting support. And given that I've had a background looking after support teams, setting up support teams and managing them, and then talking to customers around um, their experience with support, customers don't like to contact support. They don't want to have to pick up a phone or send an email or go into a live chat or read a document because it breaks their workflow. They didn't go in to do the. They didn't sign into the product today to contact support. They came in there to do a task that your product allows them to do. Um, so giving users a really easy way to 
report issues as they encounter them. Um, the bug reports, you know, they get, it can contain lots of um, context-rich information. It helps speed up implementing fixes um, from the development side. Um, you increase customer satisfaction because, um, you know, the user very quickly was able to say, hey, there was an issue here and there continue on their way doing the thing that they signed in to do um, and you reduce the back and forth between the support team and the developer and the customer uh, i guess one of the things that i remember hearing a lot um, in terms of phone support was the support person saying oh and can you let me know how you did that what were the steps that you took in your account to replicate that issue so i can try and do that and then when that's sent to the development team, here's a list of all the steps the customer took. The developer comes back in that task and says, oh, well, can you please let me know um, what browser they're using? And then the support yeah. person has to you know, break the cycle of replicating and implementing the fix to the customer. Hey, what browser is that that you're using? And then back to the developer. And I don't know about, um, I guess, yourself, but if, you're, if you stop working on a task and then you're not working on that task, to say a day or two and then you have to go back into that task it takes you quite a little bit of time to remember oh what was that let me go back through it that might be half an hour that you've taken you've taken then to reset your mind to you know start working on that again and i'm sure developers experience this all the time where it takes them time to um reset their mind back into i'm fixing this bug i've got the information okay i remember what it was i can continue yeah so essentially the loop um, between the user customer success team, the QA team and development team, right? That keeps yeah. on increasing and essentially creates a lot of lot more hassle at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Great. Moving on to the next question that we had was, um, you know, if you can provide examples of how user feedback integration affects the cost and resources allocated within a development team for bug identification? Yeah, so um, in doing our research, uh, we've identified that 38% of developers, they actually spend over 25% of their time fixing bugs. And wow. um, 26 over, tw sorry, and 26% um, over 50% of their time. So the problem isn't actually fixing the bug it's actually gathering all of the required information to replicate and resolve the issue um, and i'm certain that developers don't genuinely like resolving uh, bugs or you know replicating issues i've in my um, tenure i've only ever spoken to one developer who actually told me when i said what do you love doing he said i actually love fixing bugs and you know trying to find bugs and fix them um, so i guess uh, with those stats, it means that either A, the QA tester or the internal team member, or B, the customer reports an issue to support and then that gets logged as a bug or a task in the project management tool, um, such as Jira and the developer receives it. Um, they start working on the issue and like we were talking about before that loop, um, the developer can't replicate the issue. They ask for more information that's back and forth. Um, and that's extended by um, when it's a customer a customer issue that they've reported, um, as we kind of spoke about, then there's that back and forth between developer to customer, um, between support in the middle. Um, and it just takes longer to 
fix the issue once um, all of that information is has been gathered. Um, so using a tool, um, it actually doesn't necessarily matter who's logging the bug uh, to the development team. The bug report, uh, it's going to be consistent uh, and it's going to be potentially submitted with screenshots and whether user or the QA tester internal team member can annotate the screen, contains any errors that might have been happening in the console at the time, um, all of the session information like uh, the browser they're using, even the DPI of their screen, because in some uh, visual tools that may contain um, a WYSIWYG like a CMS or an email designer, um, zooming in on the page can potentially cause um, issues with the way that that works. Um, any custom metadata or um, even a, a session replay of exactly what the user was doing leading up into the point where they submitted the issue. So basically, um, you're really just trying to speed up the replication process as much as possible. And um, the biggest cost on resources is the uncaptured HR cost, um, which is that, um, and this is actually a stat from this, the State of Software Code report by Rollbar, 22% um, of developers feel overwhelmed by manual processes surrounding bugs. Um, and what's more worrying about that is 31% uh, say that manual responding to bugs makes them feel frustrated. Um, so it seems like a simple fix with a huge potential impact. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Uh, moving on to the next question. What cultural shifts or mindset changes are necessary for development teams to fully adopt and use non-technical user feedback for bug identification and resolution? I, I don't want to trivialize this question at all, but personally, I actually think it's a fairly easy mindset change. Um, and that's because the technology already exists to support this process. So effectively, you're able to quite easily transform non-technical users into an army of QA testers. And the key to that is providing consistency and maybe transitioning into it by still having some level of triage. So the reality is that when anything is identified or logged by a non-technical user, someone is still there in the middle and they're able to review each issue uh, report or request and make any adjustments to that, collect additional information before passing it through to the development team. And this allows you to really have a gatekeeper there on issues that might get logged as a bug. And in software development, users will always log something as a bug. They'll say, this is broken. It doesn't work the way that it should. The reality is they're not all bugs and uh, they could actually be a feature request. So having that gatekeeper in place lets you sort of triage appropriately. And lastly, uh, reassuring the development team that it doesn't mean that they're going to be directly communicating with users because I think that's quite scary when an engineer receives an issue they think and it's been reported directly by a user, do I have to communicate back with that person? What if I say the wrong thing? Um, mm. It doesn't mean that they have to start doing that. Oh, great. <laughs> really, really interesting. Uh, moving on to the next question, how can development teams effectively blend non-technical user insights with internal technical expertise in resolving identified bugs or issues? If all things are equal in terms of the data being provided, um, 
with the bug reports. So as um, if internal uh, reporters and the non-technical users are reporting issues, if everything's equal and the context being provided is is the same, I guess the internal uh, team is always going to be providing maybe a little bit more information. Um, but allowing the internal teams to add more context uh, to the user insights uh, before that gets escalated to development uh, with having that triage um, step. So you're able to better understand um, the user uh, as the support person usually is triaging. You, you have a better understanding of the user so you can add um, some more context um, around what the user is saying. And um, lastly on that, I, th I think the, use, the perspective of the user uh, is important because the user's perspective is not always the same as the developer or um, the product manager or the internal team member's perspective. Sometimes um, we tend to think about our products in very specific ways. And you know we think that we're developing our product in this way because this is how we want our users to use the product. But the result is the users use the product in the way that they they want to or they think they they need to so having the user insight there available um, it can help us make better decisions when resolving issues because they may actually relate to other areas of the product well i think um very interesting point given how essential uh, listening to users becomes mm. especially in releasing new features um and in fact even backtracking on features right i mean if there is something that's not working users would be the first person to sort of point it out and uh, you know the make sense that the teams should listen to them yeah yeah that's right great the other bit that uh, stood out for me was you know how it is very important for um, all these internal teams to also have uh, you know to also sync together uh, of course, we had highlighted the communication part, but uh, you know it is um, it does happen that the user is in touch with these internal teams at various points. I mean, they're interacting with the pre-sales team, they're interacting with the customer support team. A lot of times, they do go and um, you know uh, be a part of. They are a part of surveys that the marketing teams bring up. So yeah, it is interesting how different um, non-technical teams even play uh, a role when it comes to bug identification. Yeah. One of the things that I've seen uh, work well um, in some organizations is where they um, they either, either have a meeting, whether it's um, in their daily stand-ups um, and someone from the product team or the development team will join the, the stand-up of the customer-facing team or, or support, or they'll do a weekly meeting where different um, maybe heads of department are in that meeting. And it's really used to um, share um, sentiment of the user. It's used to share issues that are outstanding that are affecting users. Not all issues affect users, um, but it because the support team or the customer facing team they're the ones with the ears closest to the user. Um, the users will generally say, "Hey, I'm still experiencing this issue. Is when is a fix going to be available?" Um, and that meeting really allows um, the other departments to get a better understanding of how the users are feeling and, um, you know, what issues might still be affecting them because issues that the development team might see as non-critical or they don't need to be prioritized, um, it allows them to maybe reprioritize some of those issues. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, John. Uh, moving on to the next question. Uh, can you please share any insights on how this approach not only aids in bug identification, but also contributes to an agile development process or a DevOps culture? I think by automating the collection and the delivery of the uh, the information of the issue to the internal teams um, with each um, issue submission or feedback submission, mm -hmm. the non-technical users can give um, the internal, I guess, more technical team members um, everything they need to identify, recreate, and resolve the issues. Um, delivering that info um, through reporting and feedback tools, it really reduces the traditional I guess that, that investigation time by you know, up to 70% from what we've seen here, at least at Userback. And it means that uh, teams can maintain that iteration and release velocity. And that's really core to the DevOps philosophy. Uh, so when a business tries to turn a non-technical user into a technical, I guess, feedback submitter or issue submitter for insights and, and feedback, it slows the DevOps process. And for any business, it probably should be avoided, but let the technology make it simpler and, and more frictionless for those non-technical users to provide feedback and let the technical devs do what they do best, um, which is, you know, they're there to code and not cross-examine users. Um, it isn't the user's job to deep dive into your product flaws. And if it's too hard, they won't provide any feedback at all. Um, that's de detrimental to product insights and future builds, I think. Great. Thank you so much. This is very interesting to hear. Great. Moving on to the last question that we have today. Um, how do you fo foresee the future of using user feedback for bug identification and resolution, considering advancing technology and evolving user engagement behaviors? I know. <laughs> So this is maybe a little bit controversial because we've been speaking about turning non-technical users into, um, you know, helping you identify um, issues and helping you fix and resolve issues and getting more feedback from your users. Um, but we have this philosophy here at Userback, which is that it's not the user's job to report issues to you. Uh, you didn't sign on a user to be a QA tester. They realistically they're there to do a job and you should really help them do the job that they signed up to do um, they're not there to be saying oh hey i've got this issue with this button or this thing's not working sure you'll have the the power users that really love your product they're the product evangelists that will definitely do that so i think that moving forward um there's so much data available and there's so many tools available that tell us lots of things. We've got product analytics tools, we've got cross-browser testing tools like Lambda Test, and we've got um, AI available. There's, there's so many, we have so much data at our fingertips. And I think that we need to start looking for opportunities to get on top of issues before they actually become an issue. And that's part of that in terms of um, bug identification is building deeper relationships with our users so that they don't feel like they may actually be reporting an issue. And maybe it's prompting them to provide feedback along their journey using the product uh, because our users are probably the ones that run into issues more frequently than maybe 
our internal teams uh, because they're the ones that are using it to do the thing that we built our software for. And, and you know, prompting them along the way, if, if we identify something in the data that may actually be causing an issue for our users, then being able to easily ask them, hey, how's everything going? Is, is everything okay? And because we know who that customer is, finding customers in our um, user, user database that look similar to that customer and prompting for feedback from them along the journey. And I think we can, one, gain better user insiders to uh, how our customers are using the product and what they like and don't like. Um, often users will do one thing and say another thing. Uh, and, and yeah, I guess just provide a better customer experience overall. Great. Uh, amazing. Thank you so much, John. Um, it has been and it has been a really great uh, session. As we wrap up our talk on man versus machine, finding replicable bugs post-release, um, a big thanks to John for his invaluable insights. Uh, remember, when we put our human smarts together with tech wizardry, cool things happen in coding. So every bug you catch is like a hidden treasure. Um, I think it definitely makes software get better. Uh, I I hope I'm correct, John. I love that philosophy. <laughs> Great. So, um, yeah, to our users, um, you know, keep coding, mix your own creativity with the power of technology and bugs might seem like trouble, but pretty sure they're like a stepping stone to better software. And I'm very sure that, you know, the audience must have found your insights very useful. Um, thanks once again, John. Uh, loved having you here. Stay tuned for more exciting and insightful webinar series on XP series. Uh, until next time, keep coding and happy testing. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for everyone. having me, Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, John.